Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. As a child growing up in Bolivia, Israel's father lost his job and his family were in desperate need. Compassion International stepped in to help any way they could. You see, Compassion International would do more than help Israel with his physical needs. They would show him the love of Jesus and that changed his heart forever. When I was a child, my father lost his job and my mother needed to support him me, my brother, and my sister, including my father, too. It's possible for me to have three times a week lunch, and it's possible for me to have time with God, because in Compassion Program, they teach about that. When they teach me about Jesus, how to teach other people about Jesus, when we're going to practice that, that changed my life. It's, it's a miracle. Uh, what uh, if somebody decided and uh, know Jesus? That experience changed my life and changed uh, everything in my life. The Kenyans were missionaries in India for Center Street Church. Just as they have been mentoring Pastor Israel, while in India, they became mentors to a young Ashwin and his wife, Aboli. Ashwin and Aboli would later come to be part of the Center Street Church family. The Kenyans invested in others, and now the others are changing the world. Uh, Israel and Maria remind us a lot of Ashwin and Boli. Uh, we met Israel and Maria too when they were single, and uh, they were just out of university, and they were also part of our university group in Bolivia. I start to go other church, and that church I know Dale and Debbie. They are from CSC Church, from, uh, from here, Canada. And they teach me all their other steps. They teach me all the other things more about Jesus. We worked together for five years. And after that, the one challenge, challenge came in for us, and he, he asked me, oh, do you want to learn how to open a new church? We start to pray. After four months, my wife and I, we decided, and we're going to, to say Dale and Debbie, okay, let's do it. It's a, it will be fantastic. One day we were just uh, thinking and praying, and I said, why not have it in your garage? We started in my garage because Debbie is very fantastic. She told me, oh, it's a good idea open the church in your garage. What? Okay, let's do it in my garage. Well, it's amazing. I, the work that both Israel and Maria are doing, I do hospital visitation with Maria, and there isn't almost a, a week that we go away that she has not led somebody to Christ. Her gift of evangelism is incredible. Uh, we found a small place, more big than my garage, but the church is there now, and we are, we are there around the 50 people each week. It will be fantastic because God bless our church. Israel and his wife Maria recently came to Center Street Church. They were here to learn as much as they could about how to care for their new church back in Bolivia. 
we are coming here for uh, for learn more about how work in the church. I need to know the organization, how to work in ministries. And when I come into CSC Church in, here in Canada, they teach me many things. Now I, I need to come back to my house and, uh, and, and, the, and, and the church too, and start to, um, start to do that, that they teach me. That is my, my new purpose, uh, make disciples. That's important. I, 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 I never think like that. I only start to think in numbers, but now CSC Church teach me the most important way is make disciples. Some of us are called into full-time service, but all of us are called to be missionaries in one way, shape, or form. Whether it be in your home, in your family, in your community, in your church, in your neighborhood, it doesn't matter. But everybody's in called to invest their lives in other people. The Kenyans have lived their life with purpose wherever they are and in whatever they do. They love God and his heart for his people became their heart. They love others as they are going. Yeah, wasn't that a wonderful story? It, uh, it shows the lives of fully committed believers as they're simply living their lives, as they're just going in life, as they continue to invest in others. What a great story of hope. I got to uh, spend time with Israel and Maria and the Kenyans this past summer. And as I spent time with them, I became increasingly convinced of what I want to share with you today. So I trust it'll serve you well. I want to start off by welcoming you again to this Global Ministries Weekend here at Center Street. Uh, it is a pleasure to be with you today. If you're joining online, thank you again for taking this time right in your life as you're going. We pray that God will bless your bandwidth and nothing will happen. <laughs> this Global Ministries Weekend is about having a life that is well lived. And my goal is to show us a pattern, a pattern for life that we can live. Now, for those of you who do not know me, I'm Brad. I've been able to serve our congregation here for the last four years. And my task is to help us as a congregation into bringing Jesus into this world. Remember, Center Street Church exists to introduce people to Jesus and then help them become fully devoted followers of him around the world. And this is why we're here. And it's my joy and my task. Now, the reason I'm here with you today is that I've been blessed to serve our missionaries, our global workers, our partner churches. And I've been able to both see and hear Many amazing stories of what God is doing around this world. He is drawing the world to him. And I know it doesn't always seem like that from what we see in news or social media. But I assure you, God is active. And he's drawing it to himself. So as part of our Global Ministries Weekend together, we want to focus on what a life well-lived looks like. 
what a fully devoted follower of Christ lives like. And as I was preparing for this, I was brought to a question. A question that will frame up our time today. So the question is this. What does a life that is well lived or fully committed to Jesus look like? Now, when I asked that question, I immediately remembered uh, a memory that I have of my wife's great aunt, Ruby. You see, Ruby was a missionary. She was fully devoted. We could see it in her life. And while I could share many stories of her adventures, the one that stood out to me was one simple story from near the end of her life. You see, Ruby would have these parties. She had served her life in Africa and India. And so she would have these parties in Saskatoon, where I'm originally from. And she would prepare the most amazing African and Indian delicacies. Now, we didn't really understand the food, but nevertheless, it represented the people that she had fallen in love with. Then at the end of every meal, at seemingly every party, she would say these simple words that have become a benchmark in my faith and my practice. She would say out of her heart, not her religion, we can't have a party without Jesus. We would then spend time sharing stories about what God has been doing in our lives and the lives of those she had seen transformed around the world. The party was simply incomplete without Jesus. This is a picture of a fully devoted Christ, a follower of Christ. It's, in Ruby's life, Jesus was not an accessory. He was the purpose. Which reminds me of Philippians 121, where Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For Paul, life was pointless without Christ. Life was aimless without representing him to the world. And to be honest, I've had to ask myself many times, is my life about Christ, or is Christ an accessory to my life, even my ministry? For we must do good not simply in the name of Jesus, but with the name of Jesus. It is in the name of Christ, with the name of Christ. Now, if you don't mind, I want to draw your attention back to something I shared with you this past spring. I had found an outstanding statistic that frankly really caught my attention. Currently in North America, it is estimated that about 69% of our workforce between the ages of 20 and 30, they're willing to work overseas if they're given a chance. Now, not only that, but this is a generation that's not worried about their pay scale. They simply want to live a life of purpose to make a difference. We're at a time in history, folks, where there's never been more workers for the heavenly kingdom than ever before. They're willing to go, and they're willing to live committed life well for Jesus. They just want to be given a chance to live their lives and faith as they're going. They desire to live their lives well. So if we step back into the question at hand, what does a life that is well lived look like? 
I want to share a conversation I had with a missionary. When I asked one missionary in preparation for today, what makes a life well lived? They were quick to respond that it's about an intimate relationship with God and then living out that relationship with many people around. Or as one contemporary theologian once said to me, I love Jesus and I have lots of friends. Now this helps to paint a picture of what a life well lived looks like. But there's more to simply having people around us. So we want to spend our time together focusing on what the scripture focuses on. So at this time, just join me in voice as we read the word of God aloud together as a congregation. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Then when asked what the most important part of Scripture was, Jesus said, The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let's look. Let's look at what the Great Commission says for a few moments. Let's point out a few quick things here. First, Jesus had all authority to make this statement. He is in charge of everything and made this most important commission for us all. He took our purposes and repurposed them for his purpose. Now, there's a second thing about this great commission that we really do need to look at for a moment. This is one of those times we need to understand the nuance of biblical translation. You see, when Jesus told the disciples to go, our English language did not serve us well. In fact, we see that originally what Jesus said looks more like this. Therefore, as you are going and living life, make disciples. You see, Jesus didn't want to only look for action but action that is lined up with life. This is living a life well. Jesus wants us to live life making disciples. In other words, it's not as much about the go as the living and making disciples. Body of Christ, this is phenomenal news. Too many believers of Christ have felt shame because they're not positioned in life to leave everything. God has given them families and careers, relationships with their neighbors. And for them to just leave all of that and to go to another country because of a convincing sermon just would not do justice to what God has already been doing in their life. This is good news. For Jesus is not asking us all to go. He is asking us 
to live life where he has strategically placed you and make disciples of him. God is calling us to live. Now the last piece of this great commission, which is also very good news, is that Jesus wants us to teach these new followers everything he taught. Now that could sound like a massive job, but Jesus summed up all of the scripture for us. And that will be our starting point. So I'm grateful to Jesus for his laser focus. For when the best teachers of his time came to him and asked, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandments? He answered them as we read early. He focused the entire word of God down to something we can live by today. We see in Mark that when Jesus was asked this most important question, he said the most important rule, the most important one is this. Here, listen Israel, listen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can even see Jesus say in Matthew 22, he said, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It all fits right under there. Jesus summed up what a life that is well-lived looks like. So we can take this away then. We're called by Jesus to help people love God, love others as they love themselves. This again is great news. God's not asking you today to focus on all the things you're not doing. He's asking you to focus on loving him and loving others as you love yourself. We serve a God of incredible, incredibly good news. So let's look at what this means. As we are going to love God and love others, as we love ourselves. Well, a life well-lived means that as you are going, you move into intimacy with Jesus. It is a move from formal religion into a real, active, personal relationship. It is to love the Lord your God with all of your being, and that is a statement of intimacy. I'd like to share with you the story of how I found intimacy with Jesus. In 2009, I took my first trip to India. One of my primary goals was to learn about how different cultures and different faiths and religions were led. This was part of my seminary training. I found myself in the middle of this country of India at a campus for intercultural, interfaith dialogue and learning. Basically, the owners of this campus wanted all the religions of the world to meet together and get along. I found that interesting. I also found it very challenging. My heart was to discover how people from different cultures, religions, backgrounds could find Jesus. My job was to understand how to communicate the good news to those who don't yet know him. Well, one day we were asked to do something very unusual. You see, my seminary professors wanted to test us. 
They wanted to see what we would do. So the owners of this interfaith chapel, this interfaith campus, asked us to join them in an open-air chapel that they had constructed in the middle of their gardens. They had designed this chapel with all the, ver- the variety of religious icons and items. There were altars and symbols from every faith. Honestly, growing up as a Mennonite kid in Saskatoon, never would have dreamed that I'd been in a place like that. But the experience had showed me what intimacy with Jesus looks like. So the owners asked us to join them. Now, this wasn't only them. You see, they had asked everyone of every faith and religion to come and join so that we could have a nice big worship service together. Frankly, I understood their good hearts, the good intention, but I knew theologically this might have a few challenges. Well, they lit a candle or two and played some music. Then they asked us to begin worshiping. I find myself sitting between two people from different faiths themselves, different than my own, as we started to work together on this chore, this challenge. Well, they promptly started chanting and yelling out to the sky to try to get the attention of a deity of their choice. They yelled and chanted. Each voice became louder and louder. Then tears would start streaming down their faces as they longed to get a touch from heaven. I became increasingly uncomfortable. So I went to my default. I went to my happy place. What I did, I believe many of you would also do. I bowed my head, tried to close up the sounds that I was hearing, and I prayed. I felt peace. I knew Jesus was near. See, it was in that moment that I understood the good news of the gospel. You see, Jesus was only a breath away. He was present. He was close. He was personal, and with me, he was intimate. While the world of worshipers focused their prayers on deities that did not answer, my Jesus not only answered, but sat with me in peace. This changed me. Instead of praying to a God that is far away, I found myself leaning over and talking to Jesus as if he was right there. You see, when you love God with all you are, it has practical implications. He loves you back. And he never loves from afar, but from up close. This is the good news of the gospel. In every other religion, we must strive to get close to God. But with Christ, he strives to get close to us. That is truly the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of having intimacy with Jesus. When we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love him that all we are. We can't do that from afar either. God wants us to be close. 
and closer than anyone in this world. It is in intimacy with him that we find joy and meaning. Having a life well lived, that means that as you're going, you find intimacy with Christ. Well, life well lived also means that as you are going, you find identity in Christ. Pastor Henry spoke of this last week, and I'm so grateful for him spending time on it. Now, I will not do a Jean Chrétien impression. I don't believe it would be very popular. <laughs> and I will not do a Henry Shore impression. But the impression I hope to leave is this, that you actually look like your heavenly father. You look like his son. Now, this is where we need to look at the greatest commandments again. For this is the place that so many throughout history have skipped. We will not do that today. Let's look again at what Jesus said. He said that next to loving God, we must love others as we love ourselves. You see, normally, we just talk about loving others. But here's the problem. Jesus did not simply command us to love others because we love God, but to love them as we love ourselves. So let me ask you this. And this might be one of those questions you don't want me to ask. This might be a hard part for you today. But do you actually love yourself? Honestly, really. Like when you're all alone and the world around you is quiet. Do you try to escape so you don't have to think about yourself? Or perhaps this, someone gives you a compliment. And do you find yourself feeling uncomfortable? Is it hard for you to consider yourself worthy of a compliment? You see, the devil knows how to handle you loving God. He knows how to handle you loving others. But he hates it. When he sees you loving yourself the way Jesus loves you. He loses when you are comfortable being who God loves and how God has created you to be. As believers in Jesus, we have believed a lie that says we must consider ourselves as less than human. Satan has used the scriptures against us just as he used the scriptures against Jesus in the desert. For the Bible does say we are to deny ourselves. But God wants us to love ourselves. He knows we are lovable. But too often we don't feel like we're worthy of loving. So we end up defining ourselves. Defining our identity as someone who is nothing. The world is telling us that we should be free to define ourselves. But church, you don't get to define who you are. It's God's task. For he created you. He grew you. He died for you. He destroyed the power of death over you. God defines you. You don't. But we live in a world that says we're allowed 
to define ourselves by whatever we want, by whatever we feel inside. We're told that if it comes natural, it must be okay. Well, this is pretty problematic. For I have natural desires that are not right. And everyone here would agree. You see, anger comes naturally. It's a natural desire that comes from within us somewhere. But for us to act on our natural urges or simply from the way we were born, well, that would be problematic. To live in relationship, we must live out of identity that comes from Christ, not the one that we define and are most comfortable with. To deny ourselves, as the scripture says, is not to hate ourselves, but it is to let Christ define us instead of our own natural urges or desires. This is how we truly love ourselves. I'd like to share with you the story of how I found identity in Jesus. It was over 10 years ago. I was a pastor, and I loved my calling. I wanted to continue to grow in my ability to serve others, so I asked Jesus for a gift. I asked him for something that would change my life forever, but not nearly the way I thought. I was sitting in my office, and I remember very clearly, I cleared my mind and focused on him. I then asked a simple question. I said, Jesus, I want to see people the way you see them. That was it. It wasn't some big lofty prayer, or at least so I thought. You see, I wanted to see people the way Jesus saw him. Well, that came with a bit of a twist. However, it was not long before I experienced God. Again, not in the way I was prepared for. I'd asked him to help me see people the way he sees them. But the answer, I felt, would actually change me. You see, it was clear to me in that moment. God had revealed his plan into my mind. And I knew that in order to see others the way he saw them, I first must see myself the way he saw me. I knew right away that was going to hurt. I just wanted to see others the way Jesus saw them. But he had to change me first. But he drew me into an intimate, personal relationship with him. And he showed me who I am. The good, practical news is this. That when you finally learn how to love yourself, the way that Jesus sees and loves you, you'll be able to love others through the power of Jesus because you will see them through his eyes. A life well lived means that as you're going, you have intimacy with God and identity in Christ. Well, lastly for today, a life well lived means that as you are going, you invest in others. Do you remember the video we saw before I began? Remember the story of the Kenyans? What you don't know is how they became missionaries. And it's a long story, but simply put, they wanted to live their relationship with God with others around them. 
They wanted to see who Jesus was. They wanted others to see who Jesus was in their life. So they got themselves mobile. They could move around. And then they lived life as they were going, making disciples. As they were going, Jesus would introduce them to people, much like he wants to do for you. Jesus would show them who to invest in. Make no mistake, they invested in many, many people. But what stands out for us today are, I hope, two couples that will change the world. Many of you know who Pastor Ashwin is. And if you don't, I, can tell, I can't tell you enough about him. I can only assume from his humble nature that the fact that I'm talking about him right now is making him pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> so if you're sitting beside him today, can you lean over and just tell him it's going to be okay? <laughs> Pastor Ashwin didn't know Jesus, but he met him. Then as the Kenyans started to invest in him, the way that Jesus saw him, they started to make even more connections. Now we get to be blessed with this great man of God, Pastor Ashwin. He's changing the world and he's doing it right here from amongst us in Calgary. As they were going, they invested someone who is now investing in others. That's the pattern. But the Kenyans didn't stop there. As they were going, Jesus led them to South America. And Jesus wanted them to see people from there, the way that he sees them. It was there that they met Pastor Israel and his wife, Maria. They invested in them. They lived life as they were going and invited them into their journey. You see, that is what investing in others looks like. Invite them into your life so that they can see you live in intimacy with God and identity in Jesus. When others see how much you love Jesus and how much he loves you back, they will be drawn into seeking Jesus for themselves. There is no convincing sermon or argument that will lead someone to Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And he does it as you are going and loving God and loving yourself. God is not asking for some sort of spiritually elite people. He's asking for us. He's asking for you. And he wants you, as you are going, to make disciples, to make people who look more like him every day, to see others the way he sees them, and then to live our lives that they may grow closer to Jesus than they ever thought possible. Folks, too often, it's easy to treat people good that are around us without having a relationship with them. This is simply religious duty. God was clear throughout Scripture that he doesn't want our religious duty, but a loving relationship. He's not asking us for our sacrifice. He wants our hearts. A life well lived means that as you are going, you have intimacy with God, identity in Christ, and invest in others the way Jesus sees them. Now this is a way we can live. 
This is a pattern of life that we can accomplish. Church, as you are going, love God. Love others as you love yourself. As we end our time together today, I want to share with you what we did in the earlier services. I asked each congregation from our different campuses to stand and to receive a commissioning word. We will continue that pattern as I would like to ask our online congregation to stand. Online congregation, would you please stand? If you're watching online, I want to speak to you. I give thanks for you. Often when I think of you, I remember the words Jesus said to his disciples. He said that one day they would do greater things than he did. Think about it. Jesus had to walk for days to see someone only a few hundred kilometers away. Yet some of you are watching today from down the block, from the other side of the city or the other side of the world. You show us the reality of Jesus' words to his disciples. Through the technological gift we have, the whole world can hear the call of Jesus with a click of a button. So let me ask you this. How will you live differently for Jesus, knowing that he is using you to show him to the world? Wherever you are and however you are living, Jesus wants you to live in intimacy with him, to live in identity in him, and to invest in others. How will you live? Central Campus, now I'd like to ask you to stand. Will you stand with me? God has positioned you for influence. You are noticed. People regularly come to you from all over this city for hope. How will you treat them? In fact, many people looking for hope are here today. How will we show them the love and hope of Jesus? How will we show them what it means have a relationship with him, that he would become so close that you can just lean right over and spend time with him? What will you do to show the masses the compassion of Jesus? Now, we want to move into a time of reflection and prayer. And so, as you were going, as you were living this morning, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.